Amen. You may be seated this morning. We'll take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I have to say that there are many reasons in which I am thankful that God brought Ryan Wingo to us to lead our worship. Uh, I, I, one of the things we were talking about the other day is that when it comes to music ministry, if you don't hear anything, you're doing a good job. That's the way music ministry in the church works. If you're hearing a bunch of stuff, there's usually people that are unhappy. But the truth is, is we're hearing a lot of just positive, encouraging comments about the way in which Ryan's leading us. I'm just thankful for this. I was sitting here thinking this a minute ago, that every single song we sing is pointing our hearts to love Jesus Christ. I just love that. We are proclaiming the gospel and the truth in song, every single song, and I am so grateful uh, for that. That's not always the case with every song, and so we're thankful for that. One of the things I'm, I would say, the most encouraged about in regards to what God is doing in our church at this moment is that I do sense among the majority of the people a longing to see God do something more, a longing for God to do something great, a longing for us to see greater days that the foundation has been laid, years of faithful service has been invested in this church, but there is in this moment something unique, which is not always the case, a sense of desire to, to move on and to see God do more, and not just a desire for it, but a belief that God is able to do it, and a hope that God will do it. I mean, I had never thought about the phrase until I got up just a moment ago and started to lead us in prayer for the college ministry, but just the phrase, why not us, Lord, why not? Why not us? Why not here? Why not now? Why could this not be the place where God pours out his blessing and opens up the heaven, rends the heavens and comes down? Where we see a movement of God, why, why not here? And I have the hope and belief that God can and, and will do that. The first sermon I ever preached standing right here, I preached in view of a call, was Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, and I am bringing us back to that passage this morning, but I do want to start with verse 14, because when I pray for Prince, this is one of the primary passages I pray, but I want us to focus on the last two verses, 20 and 21. If you're there in Ephesians 3, say amen. amen. Verse 14, for this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, speaking to the church, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. That is right there, the most ambitious prayer that has ever been prayed. There was only one who was filled up with the fullness of God, and that is Jesus Christ. But Paul is praying that we might be filled with the Spirit up to the fullness of God, something that will never actually be done, but something we should certainly strive for, that we might be fully and completely filled to the fullness with the Spirit of God. Then, after praying that, knowing that a church filled with people seeking to be filled with the fullness of God, 
And the power of what God can do with a church like this says this, and this is our text this morning, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. There is at the end of that prayer a declaration of praise, a statement of adoration. I think on one hand, it's a reminder to the people in the small church at Ephesus who are receiving this letter because they are a gathering of a group of Gentile believers who somehow have been convinced that they don't get in on all the blessings of God's people, the Jews. And so Paul writes to them to remind them, starting in chapter 1, that no, 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 no. No matter who you are, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, every blessing in the heavenly places belongs to you. And then spends three chapters trying to affirm that in them. And then he comes to the end of that before he transitions to more practical instruction in chapters 4, 5, and 6. And just prays that somehow they would have the strength to comprehend, which he says is incomprehensible. That you may have the strength to comprehend that which surpasses knowledge. He wants them to somehow get how much God loves them. And all that God has done in bringing them to himself and then ends right here in 20 and 21, reminding them not only of God's ability, which is able to take what we imagine and to do more than that. Not only to do more than that, but to do far more abundantly than that. And not only to do far more abundantly, but to, to do far and above more abundantly than anything we'd ever ask or imagine. To take our wildest imagination of what God could do in a church. And he says God can do more than that. But he doesn't just want to remind them of God's ability. He wants to remind them of God's desire. You know, I, I think sometimes... And it's because many of us have, have maybe never seen God work in such miraculous ways that we know that God is able. We just are not, not quite convinced he's willing. And this verse exists to stir up within us a desire to see God do what only God can do. It is also a reminder to us that God's plan has always been the same. From the very beginning to the very end, here's God's simple plan. God's plan is that he is going to save some and he is going to bring them to himself. And in so doing, he is going to gather them together in an identifiable group of people. And he is going to use them to pour out his spirit upon them so that the nations might see who God is. And that they, seeing his glory through his gathered people, might also come to Christ. That's always been his plan. That, that's the Bible in 30 seconds. God's saving Calling out, gathering together, pouring his spirit on them, making himself known through them with the goal that more and more and more and more might be saved. That's what he did all the way through the Old Testament. And listen to me, it's what he's doing right now. The plan of God right now is to save people. To gather them in identifiable groups of people. To pour out his spirit upon them so that those on the outside world might see what God is doing and come to know him. And, and, and here's what I want you to know. 
God wants us to get right in the middle of what he's always been doing. I mean, that's it. I mean, the purpose of everything we've been talking about over the last three weeks and this morning and next Sunday morning, all of this exists to help us to understand in very simple terms, there is a God with a very simple plan. That he is gathering us so that he may bring clarity to what it is we're called to do, to unite us in his name so that by doing so, he might pour out his spirit upon us and so that more and more and more, thousands upon thousands upon thousands might hear the gospel and respond. That's why we're in this moment. Now, so far, we talked about our mission. And we took our logo there and we showed you how that works It's not just for branding, it is for you to understand who it is we are. We took the center arrows out of there and we said, here's our mission. Our mission is very simply leading people to trust and follow Jesus. That's it. That is our mission. We have one thing that we do. It answers the question, what? What is it that we're doing? The answer is leading people. It's all people. It's people, people, people. We're leading people to trust and follow Jesus. We are all about people and all about leading them step by step, moment by moment, to trust and follow Jesus. And when they come to Jesus, our mission's still the same. We want to lead them to trust and follow Jesus more and more and more and more. That, that, that answers the question, what? Now, the next question is how. How are we going to do that? And that's our discipleship pathway. We are going to bring them in, and we are going to provide environments in which they can develop the three most important areas of their spiritual life. An upward life of worship. An inward life in community. And an outward life on mission. That is a summary of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. You say, well, how can you summarize it so simply? Because Jesus did it. Jesus said all of the law and the prophets can be summed up in this. Love God, love your neighbor. Then he gives us the great commission. Love God, love your neighbor, reach the world. That's it. You can say it a thousand different ways, but the core of what it means to make progress in your Christian life is to make progress in those three areas. And we're in the process of aligning every single thing we do in our church every program, every event into this discipleship pathway because we don't want to just be busy. We want to be proactively leading people to follow Jesus. That's the goal. There's one more thing to clarify, and we're going to clarify it this morning and next week, and that is membership. We've talked about mission, what it is we're doing. We've talked about method, how we're going to do it. We need to talk about membership, which means who's going to do it with us. This matters. We're going to talk about this morning why it matters. In the next week and next week and this week, we're going to answer questions like what is the church and why does it matter and why is it absolutely essential that you be a member of one? What I want to do this morning is I want to answer this question, what is a church? What is a church? And I want to give you four metaphors that the church, that the Bible uses to explain to us the church And then I want you to see why it matters. What is a church? And so if you have a pen, a pencil, a mascara, whatever, would you write this down? I want to encourage you to take a little piece of paper. You got your notes right there and write these things down. uh, Because you will see as we go through this, hopefully, a heightened awareness of why what we're doing this morning matters. Why being a part of a church matters, okay? So let me me give you four metaphors. I could give, there's hundreds in scripture, but let me give you four. Write this down. First of all, the church is a people. The church is a people. 
This is the most basic and I would say most important understanding of the church. The church is a people. The church is not a building. The church is not a location. The church is not a club. The church is not a place. The church is not a pastor. The church is not a bunch of ministries. The church is a people. This is why on Sunday morning I say to you, good morning, church. I'm not good morning the building. I'm not good morning the location. I do that on Sunday morning hours before you get here. I'm saying to the church, good morning, church. If all of us cease together and exist, and this building is still here, we don't have a church. This is not a church. We are the church. Now we have a building in which the church might gather so that we might invite others into this building where programs and events and all these things might take place. But the church at its very core is a people. That's exactly what the word for church means. The Greek word ecclesia in the New Testament to describe church can be used in two different ways. It can be used as a noun in which it refers to a gathering or an assembly. A gathering or an assembly. It can be used as a verb, and as a verb, it means to call out. To call out. So what is a church? Listen to this. It's very simple. A church is the gathering of the called out. That's it. God has called us out. We heard the gospel somewhere. We responded to the gospel. And God's plan has always been to take those who have been called out and to assemble them in identifiable group of believers in a local church. That's why the letters in the New Testament are not just written to Christians, they're written to local churches. It's always been God's plan. We are a people called out by God and gathered for his purposes. It is the gathering of the called out. Two parts of that, called out by God individually. No one else can make that decision for you. Your mama can't get you to heaven. Your daddy can't get you to heaven. Your Sunday school teacher can't get you to heaven. You have to make your own decision. I will choose to trust Jesus Christ. And the next step of that is you identify yourself with the church through baptism and then you join a local church. That's why that process matters. You get saved, you get baptized, you join a local church because God's plan has been to call you out and to gather you. We are a people. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says it this way. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light for you once were not a people but now you are the people of God Peter uses all of these Old Testament ideas to show us that God's plan has always been the same I will call you out and I will gather you so that through you I might proclaim the excellencies of the one who called you out and gathered you God has always had a people. And he has always gathered them by calling them out, by making them holy, by preparing them for himself with the same purpose that they might live and work for his name and his glory. Now listen to this. Church membership is the way in which you identify with the people of God. 
You can tell me all day you're a part of the people of God. If there is not a church that has affirmed that you are a people of God and you are not an identifiable part of a church, then there's no reason to believe that you are actually a part of the people of God. The way in which God gathers them and the way in which God affirms that they are the people of God is the idea that God came up with himself and that is called a local church. This is where the people of God gather. And they're gathering right here. And praise God, they're gathering lots of other places in Athens and Bogart. Praise God. In Watkinsville. Great churches all over. Gathering of the people of God. We are a people. The church is not only a people. The second one is this. The church is a body. Write that down. The church is a body. I would say the most basic understanding is that of a people, a gathering of those called out. But the most commonly used idea is the church as a body. You could look right over at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23. You could start at 22, and he says, He put all things under his feet, talking about the ascension of Jesus Christ, and gave Christ as head over all things to the church. Christ ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father, And all of his rule and all of his reign and all of his authority has been given to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Now, here's what I want you to get. When we talk about people, we talk about a gathering of the called out. But listen to this. When we talk about the idea of the body, the church exists to be the visual manifestation of Christ on earth. The visual manifestation of Christ on earth. How do people know what Jesus is like? The answer is through his body, the church. How do they know what Jesus talks about? How do they know what Jesus cares about? How do they know the heartbeat of Jesus? How do they know his love? How do they know his mercy? Through his body. The whole point of the book of Acts is that Jesus Christ has ascended, and we know this from Acts 1, 1 and 2, but his work has not completed The book of Acts is the continuation of the work of Christ through his body on earth, which is the church. If anyone's going to know what Jesus is like and what Jesus cares about, then they're going to know it through his body. And this is God's idea. We talked about this two weeks ago, that Christ in Ephesians 4 ascended. He gave gifts and he gathered people together in these little groups gifted them individually and specifically, and here's why. Because none of us individually look that much like Jesus. So if they only see you, they're going to see something about Jesus, but they're going to be able to see a lot of stuff that's not like Jesus. Amen? There, There are some things about you that when you function in this way, man, people see Jesus in you, but there's a, there's a lot of stuff they're not seeing Jesus in. And there's a lot of ways in which you're not gifted. You've got a couple of really good gifts. And here's what happens. When you function in your gifting and you and yours and yours and you function in yours over there, what ends up happening is this, is then all of us together start to be a visual picture of Jesus Christ. It's a body. This is why in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 5, Paul says this. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, talking about the church, though many 
are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. All of us gifted differently, very important parts of the body. And one part left on its own is not that significant. But when you take a part of the body and join it with the rest of the body, all of a sudden that part becomes essential to the working of the body. Meaning you find your place of significance and your place of usefulness within the body of Christ. Outside of the body of Christ, you're like a toe that doesn't have a foot or a leg or a body. That's it. You're just a toe. Now, don't, don't feel bad about being a toe because you miss one of your toes and all of a sudden you realize toes matter. But just a toe in a box doesn't do much. It's got to be connected to the body. I got a little gross there, didn't I? I didn't. This is what happens when I go off script. I didn't. I'm just trying to get you to get the picture here. You're a toe. But my goodness, how significant is the big toe when attached to the foot? That's, that's me and you. That's it. I'm a toe. Probably a pinky toe. I'm doing my one thing right now. This is what I got. I do this, a couple other little things, but this is about what I do. Man, I'm not any good sitting at home, but you put me right here, and all of a sudden, God starts to use it, amen? I do preach a little bit at home, but nobody listens. That's the difference in here. <laughs> we're a people, and we're a body. Let me give you the third one. The church is a people. The church is a body. The church, listen, I love this. The church is a family. The church is a family. Now, you, you know what I'm going to say. I say it all the time. The reason Prince feels like a family is because everyone's related. <laughs> Best advice I ever got when I first got here, Sky Pratt took me aside and said, I just need to tell you, be careful saying anything bad about anybody because most likely you're talking to someone that's related to them. If I grew up in this church, I'd be terrified to marry anybody because they're probably... <laughs> I mean, there's a good chance you start doing your ancestry and you're going to figure out it's about two degrees of separation. You're wondering why that kid looks funny. I mean, I'm just telling you. <laughs> Be careful. You know, our, our, our new student pastor, who's Lord willing, starting next week, we're so excited, Jace Thomas, he came and he spent a weekend here and he met with our students and he met with parents and he came around Sunday morning and in a very emotional way, he just said to me, this place is incredible. It feels like home. He'd never been here before. It's what Andrea and I felt. Andrea walked, and I walked in this place. We just, man, it felt like home. First time we ever came here, we were talking to the search committee, and we snuck in on a Sunday morning and sat right over there because we wanted to, I didn't, it, I didn't know if I wanted to pastor this church. I wanted to know if I wanted to come to this church. Like, I got to come here too, right? My, my wife's got to be in a Sunday school class, and I got to be connected to that class, and my kids got to go to church here. So we, we go to church here, and I wanted to make sure this is a place I wanted to go to church, and we just, man, we walked in and just, we felt welcome. I don't know if that happens to everybody that, that walks in here, but the reality is, listen to this, this doesn't just feel like a family, this actually is a family. I want to make sure we're clear on that. Like, the church shouldn't just feel like, a, we need to stop saying, the church needs to feel like a family. No, no, no. The church actually is a family. We share the same dad, and we share the same brother, and his name is Jesus Christ. That's it. 
Like we got adopted into the same family by the work of Jesus Christ. Now God is our father. Jesus Christ is our brother. And through his sacrifice, we have been brought in. The church is a real blood-bought family relationships of brothers and sisters. That's not what we want to be. That's what we are. Now, we need to make sure we're manifesting that. How sad would it be to come into a church that doesn't feel like family because the church is actually a family. And some of you that grew up in extremely dysfunctional families and never had a good mama, never had a good daddy, you know what it's like to step in a church and find the mommy and daddy you never had. That's, that's how the church works. Listen to what 1 Timothy 5 says in verse 1 and 2. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. To the younger men as brothers, to the older women as mothers, to the younger women as sisters in all purity. I love that verse. Uh, I preached that passage a few years ago and was just pleading with people to make sure that we're viewing each other in that honoring family way. And I just kind of started to talk about the fact that isn't it interesting we call guys brothers, so we always say brother. And part of that is just because we don't remember your name, but part of it is because... We are brothers. We're really actually brothers. And I started to wonder how weird it is that we don't call the ladies sisters. And so I just said, hey, we need to start that. And it didn't, I didn't take off very well. I don't know what the problem is. I think the problem is if you keep going in this verse, then we got to call older women mothers. And then you're going to call some woman mother, and she's going to say, wait a minute, I thought I was a sister. So it does get complicated. But the truth is, what I love about this is when I look at some of these single college girls over here, and I realize they're a sister, or some of you other single ladies, and I think of you as a sister, you know what it does to me? It stirs up in me a desire to protect you, to love you, to step into your life, to step into your hurt, to step into your pain, to defend you in any way I can, because you're not just an attender. If you're a part of it, you're a sister. You're a sister. Because you're a, you're a brother. And this is, a, this is a real family. And by the way, coming with that means we're a dysfunctional family. Because every family is dysfunctional. But you know what? Do you realize the church is the place where you learn how to love and to care and to deal with dysfunction and to deal with hurt and to deal with conflict? Particularly in this day and age when so many people did not grow up in a healthy family. Do you realize this is the place you should learn how to deal with conflict? This is the place you should learn how to deal with hurt. This is the place where you don't run for dysfunction. You run into it and you fix it. That's what the church does because we're a family. We're a people. We're a body. We're a family. Let me give you the last one here. We are also a bride. The church is a bride. Now, there are all kinds of other analogies I could use. I could talk about the church as a house or a city or a flock or a temple but I've chosen this one because it communicates something different than the others. All of the others have really communicated your part in the church and your involvement in the church. What this one communicates, listen, is not the way you should feel about the church, but the way in which Jesus feels about you. He could have used a thousand different analogies. I mean, you just think about the metaphors in scripture that God was, was never lacking in a good metaphor. But he chose to call us the bride of Christ. Because it shows how he feels about us. 
I mean, just turn over a page to Ephesians 5. Verse 25, he's talking to husbands. He's trying to communicate how they should love their wives. And he says this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What does that look like? He gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. He might make her holy and might make her pure and might move her towards godliness. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in all splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. He's talking about his relationship to the church there. We know that because none of you men will ever present your wife to the Lord at the end of the day without spot or wrinkle. Just telling you. He's talking about the church. Jesus is sacrificing for the church. He's loving the church. He's giving himself up for the church. He is leading the church into maturity. And then he says this, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Again, Jesus loves his bride because his bride is his body. No one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ nourishes and treasures and cherishes the church. Because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that. It refers to Christ and the church. What metaphor could Jesus have used to more clearly articulate his passionate sacrificial love for you more than by calling you his bride? That he loves you and he has given himself for you and he has sacrificed for you and he is working on your life. He is protecting you and he is making sure that you're safe all the way until the end. He has made a passionate, sacrificial, purifying, holy, caring covenant to you in which he has said, I made a decision at the moment you came to me that you will be mine and I will never leave you or forsake you. You are mine. His passionate love for the church. So the church is a people. The church is a body. The church is a bride and the church, what did I miss? The church is a people, the church is a uh, bride, the church is a body, I'm missing one, help me out here. The church is a family, <laughs> sorry. The church is a family. I think I said that was my favorite one too. So, okay, we're gonna end here in just a minute, but le- I'm not saying that like close up your Bibles. I just, I want to, I wanna draw some application. What, what does that mean for us? What does that mean? What does it mean that we are a people and a body and a family and a bride? What does that mean? It means this. Let me tell you. First of all, it means the church matters to God. I mean, think about the metaphors. This is the gathering of God's people who he called out and shed his blood for to gather them and then commanded that you not only be called out, but that you be gathered together. This is his people. This is his body. This is the body of Christ. He has one plan until he returns to make himself known to the world. It's his body. This is his family. He's the brother. He's brought us to the father. He is a part of the family. He is with us in this family. He loves and cares about the family. This is his bride. He made a covenant with us. He has promised to love us and honor us and protect us until the end. The question is not, does the church matter to God? The question is this, does the church matter to you? 
My word, the church matters to God. Every single one of these metaphors just increase our understanding of how much Jesus loves this and cares about this. The church matters to God. It also means this, listen, it also means not only does the church matter to God, but membership matters to God. Membership matters to God. Your commitment to the local church matters. Now, I, people all the time say, can you show me how membership is seen in the New Testament? Can you give me a verse? I cannot give you a specific verse in which says you must join a church. I can tell you this. There are 144 references to the word church in the New Testament. 90 of them are references to local assemblies of believers. The plan at the very beginning of the book of Acts is people don't just get saved and wander off. They get saved and they gather in identifiable groups of people. I can also tell you that there's a thousand commands in scripture, including things like church discipline, including uh, commands of how we love one another and don't forsake the assembling of the brethren that you cannot keep unless you are an identifiable member of a local church. I can also tell you that none of these metaphors actually work unless you're a member of a church. You say, oh, I'm part of the body. I'm gonna say, where? Where's the rest of the body? Where's the rest of the body? Well, I just, you know, I just, I'm just about the church universal. Well, you're not a part of the body. Like, if you're gonna use your toe, it's gotta be in, the, in, a, in some body. How, how are you a people of God? Well, I'm a part of this people of God. This is how this works. None of these things work out. And I just, I just have to say, given the way that Christ feels about the church, I think it's impossible if we love Jesus to be casual about the church. This matters to God. And your commitment to a body of believers also matters to God. You making a commitment to say, I'll be a part of this body. I'll use my gifts and resources here. I will exist to see this group advance the kingdom of Christ. That matters to God. The church matters to God. Membership matters to God. But let me tell you the last reason this matters is because it shows you that you matter to God. You matter matter to God. Have you thought about this? You were an isolated orphan, every one of us, who had some gifts that you did not know what they were, nor could you identify them, nor did you have a place to use them in any way that was meaningful or significant. And God saw you and he said this. He said, I want you to come be a part of, of my people. And he calls you out. He saves you, convicts you of sin, allows you to understand his righteousness. He then brings you in. He gathers you with a people where in this place you find meaning and significance and a place to use your gifts in which you are being used in ways you could never be used outside of this. What this means is this. You matter to God. He loves you, he called you, and he has very clearly articulated the place for you in which God will manifest his love for you, in which God will help you to understand his family, in which God will help you to understand his care and his love and his shepherding is all within the context of the local church. A pastor exists to be an under-shepherd. You say, how is it that God shepherds me? God shepherds you through the context of the local church. God cares for you and provides for you through the context of the local church. It not only says the church matters, it means you matter to God. And he loved you enough to say, you cannot make it out there on your own. So this morning, God just, God just wants to stir up in our hearts an understanding of what he is able to do and what he wants to do. He wants you to get a vision of the fact that he is able 
to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church. And he is inviting you, listen, to be a part of it. So here's our response this morning. Listen carefully. Here's our response. We're gonna sing one song, we'll be done. Our response is this. First of all, if you're not a part of the people of God, if you have not chosen by faith to trust and follow Jesus Christ, you don't need to take one more step, one more physical step without that step being out of your aisle and down here to talk to someone about what it means to know Jesus Christ. You don't need to take another step apart from that. The second thing is this. Can I just plead with you this morning? If there is something in your heart stirring with a desire to see Prince be all that God wants us to be, I feel like this is a morning in which we just need to call out on God, understand the significance, and say, God, do it here, do it again. Why not? Let's just get on our knees this morning and say, God, would you come and pour out your spirit and just tell the Lord, Lord, I want to be a part. Listen, let's watch him do it. And the only way it works, every one of us engaged and involved for his glory. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.